uh, open your Bibles uh, to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation and Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, and I'll read from verses 1 uh, through 7. Revelation chapter 2, from verses 1 through 7, it reads, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. In the past few years, there have been a lot of debates regarding doctrine and love. The debates have centered on what is more important between the two. Obviously, in theory, many people believe that love is more important. They say doctrine divides and love unites. According to them, we should compromise doctrine sometimes, but we should never compromise love. One pastor or bishop, as he refers to himself, said, doctrine divides us, and the argument on such is a waste of time. Can we just focus on the cross that will always unite us? So, according to this man, there is no need for us to discuss doctrinal matters. Instead, we should just love one another and talk about the cross of Christ. Maybe as you are sitting and listening, you agree that we should prioritize love over doctrine. Or maybe you are saying, no, doctrine comes first. This morning, I want us to focus on this question. What should we prioritize, love or doctrine? Revelation 2, verse 1 through 7 will show us how a biblical church should respond to a love versus doctrine issue. We will answer the question by looking at three truths the church should hold on to if the goal is to remain faithful. If the goal is to remain faithful, one, the church should consider Christ as the only central figure. Two, the church should work hard to instill and to protect some doctrine. And three, the church should not substitute love for anything. Let us look at our first point. The goal is to remain, if the goal is to remain faithful, the church should consider Christ as the only central figure. Revelation 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the weight of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. 
Now, the letter we are looking at this morning was sent to the church located in Ephesus through the angel or the messenger. At the time when this letter was sent, Ephesus was not a capital city of Asia Minor, but it was one of the four most important cities in the Roman Empire. While Rome was governing many cities that they had conquered, Ephesus was a free city. This means they were self-governed. They managed their internal affairs. They did not have territorial lords, but they reported directly to the emperor. Now, in addition to that, Ephesus was the center of commerce and trade, so you can imagine how prosperous this city was. Since this city was better than many in the Roman Empire, people living there had many reasons to believe they were better than others. Even the church at Ephesus had privileges that other churches did not have. For that reason, the church in Ephesus was tempted to boast. One commentator said this church was proud of its position and heritage and it was, as it was considered the mother church of the region. Paul even used this church as the center of evangelizing the whole region. We see that in Acts 19, verse 8 to 10, as it says, And he entered the synagogue, and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way for the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now, all this show that Ephesus was a place to be. So the believers in that area were tempted to feel special. A challenge in a place like Ephesus is that you start looking at yourself. You start thinking that you are in control. You start believing that since your area is the most important area compared to others, then even your church is the most important church compared to others. Since they were in a governing, in a self-governing city, there might have been temptation to think they were actually a self-governing church. However, in verse 1, Jesus shows them that that was not the case. He was the one who had authority over the church. In verse 1, we see that the message that was to be delivered to the Ephesians was, was to be delivered via the angel of the church. However, the angel was not the head of the church. This verse tells us that Jesus is the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. And Revelation 1.20 tells us that the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches. Now, there are different views regarding the identity of the angels. However, that is not where my interest is this morning. What I want us to see is that whether the angels were the guardian of the city or leaders of the churches, it was not their voices or words that were to govern the church. It was the words or the voice of Christ that was supposed to govern the church. It was not their authority that people were subject to, but the authority of Jesus Christ. It was not their opinions that mattered the most, but the truth of Jesus Christ. 
Although they were in a place that was self-governed, the members of the church and their leaders were not the main voices in the church, but Christ was the main voice. Christ is the one who controls the seven stars. He's the one who holds the messengers. The message they delivered to the church was not theirs. Brothers and sisters, the leaders in the church do not come up with doctrine. They do not invent a message for the church, but their duty is to bring to God's people the words of Christ. It is the new year. Many people are expecting to hear a 2024 declaration from their pastors. Many pastors are under pressure and they are, try they are trying to be creative so that they will give their members something powerful. Unfortunately for you, I can't give you that this morning. Instead, I'm here to say, just like in any other year, the words of Christ are what we need this year. Christ is the one who has authority. Christ is the one who gives the church the message. And the message that he gives to the church is in the page of your Bible, or in the pages of your Bible. Our resolution should be to treasure the words of Christ this year. Our resolution should be to treasure the words of our King this year. Let Christ, the founder of the church, be the one we look to. Let Christ, the head of the church, be the one we follow. Let, let Christ, the, the, the Savior of the church, be the one we praise this year. We need to pray that our leaders and all those who preach the word of God may give us the message of Christ, not the opinions of men. Jesus Christ is the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. His message alone establishes the church. His message alone strengthens the church. Both leaders and members of the church are subject to Christ. Now, while many in the Roman Empire were slaves and had no voice, those in Ephesus were free. However, it was important for them to understand that their social status did not really matter in the church of God. Although it is not exactly the same, but like the Ephesians, we live in a free country. We are in a democracy. Although it rarely works like that, at least in theory, we know that in democracy, ordinary citizens should have a decisive say in how the country should be governed. In democracy, no one remains in power without people's approval. As they say, your vote is your voice. Now, this has caused many people to believe the church should be governed through democracy as well. People want to decide what kinds of messages they want to hear. People want to decide what should be acceptable in the church and what should be rejected by the church. But in Revelation, we see that nobody but Jesus should autonomously decide both the message and the conduct of the church. Beloved, this is my plea to you this year. Desire to hear the message of Christ, not what your heart delights in. Desire to listen and to obey Christ, not to feed your emotions. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Jesus Christ. Christ is not only in control, but he's also present and watching, and he's watching over his church. The last part of verse 1 says, He walks among the seven golden lampstands. 
In general, it is good to know that Jesus is always with us as individuals and as the church. However, our passage shows Jesus' presence differently. Jesus' presence here means he sees our action. Jesus sees everything that is done in his church which is purchased by his own blood. Jesus sees when the church gathers only as a habit, not because of her allegiance to him. Jesus sees when the church compromises the truth in order to keep everyone happy and comfortable. Jesus sees when he is no longer a central figure in the church. Jesus sees when things are no longer going the way they should be in the church. And when he sees that, he holds the members of the church accountable for their actions or ignorance. This is the reason he was addressing the church of Ephesus in our passage. Jesus had to remind all members of the church that he is the focal point. He is the reason we gather every Sunday. Jesus is the big man. A church that has forgotten that Jesus is the focal point will try to come up with programs that will excite them. A church that has forgotten that Jesus is the main man will have members who want the sermons to focus on their feelings. But friends, Jesus should be our only center of attention. And when we fail to keep him there, he sees us. Beloved, the scripture calls us to keep Jesus first. In the book of Hebrews, we are commanded as believers to consistently gather together. And here, in the book of Revelation, we see that as we gather together, we must keep Christ as the main man. If you are planning to be faithful in your attendance this year, that is a good thing. If you are planning to stay faithful in this year, that is a good thing. But as you do that, it should not be only about your personal improvement. Christ should be your only motivation. We are commanded to serve faithfully in the church, but serving is not a look at me challenge. Instead, it is honoring Christ, who is the head and the central figure in the church. Now that we have seen that the church should consider Christ as the only central figure, we move to our second point. If the goal is to remain faithful, the church should work hard to instill and to protect some doctrine. Let us look at our text, Revelation 2, verse 2 to 3. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Then we jump to verse 6. It says, Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, after affirming his authority, Jesus started by complimenting the church. Jesus acknowledged the good work that the church was doing. Jesus was mindful of their good works and he commended them for those good works. He spoke about their toil and their patient endurance. The people of Ephesus were known for their loyalty to Goddess Diana or Goddess Artemis, who was their idol. Artemis had a temple, a magnificent temple, in fact, that, that was named after her, as the temple was called Artemisian. The temple was not just a place of worship. 
but there were several benefits the city received from having the temple of Artemis. That temple was one of the seven wonders in the world at that time. Therefore, it was associated with prosperity. And as you can imagine, that came with prestige. The temple attracted tourists that brought more wealth to the city. Some people gained wealth from doing jobs that were associated with the temple. In Acts 19, when Paul was preaching the gospel in Ephesus, telling people that the gods that are made by hands are not God, a man called Demetrius started a riot. Acts 19 tells the story. Acts 19, verse 23 to 28 says, About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines for Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. This he gathered together with the workmen in similar trade and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away great many people, saying that God's made with hands are not God's. And there is a danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be disposed from her magnificence. She whom all Asia in the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Now, as you see, this is what Paul faced in Ephesus. This was the place where Christianity was not wanted. It was not easy to be a Christian in this place. Timid Christians could not survive in this area. The church faced a lot of difficulties. However, amid all the difficulties, the church had survived. Jesus shows us how they survived. He says they toiled. This means they labored to the point of extreme tiredness. Everything was against them continuing as a church. That church was not accepted by the leaders of the place. That church was not accepted by the community. That church had every reason to shut the doors and say, we've tried everything, but it is not working. Look, or looking at the environment they found themselves in, giving up was an understandable excuse. However, that never crossed their minds. This is the church that went hard to keep their doors open. Insignificant as they were in the eyes of the society, they still understood that they were a lighthouse in that area. Rich people were going to Artemisian. Important people were embracing God, Artemis. Many people had decided that Ephesus was the city of that great goddess. In the eyes of the people, there was no place for the church of Jesus Christ in that area. The numbers were against them, but they understood that Jesus was for them. Even though people had rejected them, they did not neglect their duty of proclaiming the gospel and teaching sound doctrine in a place where idolatry dominated. Oh friends, as you are sitting there, maybe you desire a big church meeting in a great venue, having an amazing worship team with a lot of rich members and people of influence. 
Maybe you think that is a church that can have a huge influence in this area or in South Africa as a whole. Maybe you think church needs celebrities in order to have influence. However, this morning I want to show you that Jesus Christ commanded a small and insignificant church with no people of influence. Not because small churches are the ones that matters, but because this small church embraced and protected sound doctrine even though she suffered because of that. Friends, as a church, we ought to labor together for sound doctrine. We ought to join hands together to proclaim sound doctrine to the dying world and to practice godliness. That is what would bring change. And as a wonderful thing is that Jesus is in the midst of us as we do that. Jesus calls us to labor for good works that brings honor to his name. Let us not ignore our duty and mandate as Christians. There was no excuse for the church in Ephesus. What can be our excuse today? Are we willing to toil like they did? Are we willing to be a lighthouse and proclaim the gospel in this area? Or we are just compatible with everyone who comes to church and we do not care about those who do not know the Lord? What is our excuse? Jesus went on and commanded the church for patient endurance. This church was patient in suffering. They did not only labor for some doctrine, but they were also willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Unlike many people, they did not worry about what they were going to lose, but they were encouraged by what they were going to gain. Talking about Moses, Hebrews 11, verse 24 to 26, it says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to the reward. Like Moses, this church deemed suffering for Christ together. They were willing to sacrifice their comfort. In the city where people were free, they were willing to be treated as slaves for Christ's sake. They rejected any form of freedom outside Christ. The heavens of the world that came with riches and prestige were like a stench to them because of Christ. Even from the early days of their conversion, for the sake of Christ, they chose to take some loss, although they lived in a business-minded society, as we see in the book of Lent. At 19 verse 18 to 20 says, Also many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Instead of selling these ungodly books to make some profit, this church decided to ban them. Luke tells us, as we have seen, that the value of those books was about 50,000 pieces of silver. According to John MacArthur, there was 50,000 days wages for a common laborer. Now, there was a great loss. But it didn't matter to the Ephesians because they had found Jesus Christ. Friends, if we value things more than Christ, it would be impossible for us to persevere in difficult circumstances. 
decisions where we need to lose everything for the sake of Christ. But many are afraid of losing simple things like social media respect for the sake of Christ. One of the greatest tragedies of this generation or of this age is that many professing Christians want to be on the good books of the world. They are afraid of looking like fools and proclaiming the gospel really makes you look like a fool in the eyes of the world. Many professing Christians will never stand on the road or stop someone to share the gospel with them. Not because they lack skill, but because it is embarrassing in their eyes. Even when a lot of opportunities present themselves, we are not eager to talk about Christ. We'd rather run out of topics and be quiet than start a gospel conversation. Beloved, we should not behave in this manner. Like the church in Ephesus, we ought to labor for Christ. Now, to labor for Christ includes protecting some doctrine. At the infant stage of this church existence, Paul spent three years admonishing this church. In Acts chapter 20, in his prediction, he warned the elders of the church about the false teachers who were going to come from within the church. Acts 20 verse 28 to 30 says, Pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which you obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own self will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Now, this was going to be a great test for the church in Ephesus. Verse 2 of our passage shows that they passed the test. Jesus said, I know you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and have not found them to be false. And you have found them to be false. Earlier, we saw that this church was patient. Now, we see that patience is not tantamount to compromise. Being patient as believers is not similar to accepting false teaching. We know that because Jesus said this church was patient, but they couldn't bear with those who are evil. In the days when the church is misunderstood as the institution that should accept all nonsense, the word of God shows us that that is not the case. In the days when people expect the church to, to accept everyone and everything, the book of Revelation shows us evidence to the contrary. Jesus commanded this church for standing firm against evil people. Friends, we are called to stand against evil. We are patient with every sinner as we point them to Christ, knowing that we are also sinners who have been justified by Christ. However, we cannot tolerate people who mock Christ, people who are against some doctrine and are not willing to learn the truth. We are called to protect sound doctrine. This, the Ephesians did very well as they rejected false apostles. However, for them to test whether those who called themselves apostles were true or false, they needed to know the truth. Friends, sound doctrine is important if we want to protect ourselves from false teaching. If someone comes with false teaching and deceives us, we are also guilty. It is our duty to study sound doctrine. 
When church members are deceived, they are not victims, but they are accomplices of the one who deceived them because they are the ones who rejected or ignored some doctrine. Beloved, it is a good thing to attend every service. In fact, we are called to gather with other believers as much as possible. However, that is not enough. Members of the church are not spectators, but are fellow workers in the kingdom. Although we gather as a church, it is still your duty to search for the truth. It is your duty to study the truth. It is your duty to know the truth. It is your duty to apply the truth in your life. When we do that, we won't be easily deceived. Friends, when we are deceived, we are guilty of at least two things. First, we are guilty of corrupting the church by not working hard to protect it from false teaching. Second, we are guilty of corrupting our own souls because of our ignorance or by neglecting some doctrine. The scripture primarily calls elders to protect the church from false teaching, but it ultimately gives that responsibility to every member of the church. As we see in our passage, the entire church is praised for the good work of protecting some doctrine. We will also see when we look at another letter that the entire church was criticized for allowing false teaching to infiltrate the church. Verse 6 shows us that Jesus hates false teaching and just like him, the Ephesians hated false teaching. We see that they hated the works of Nicolaitans just like Jesus. There are different theories about who, uh, about who Na, Na, Nicole or Nicolaitans were, but we won't look at them. The main thing that we want to see is that these people were teaching what was not in line with some doctrine, and for that reason, the Ephesians rejected their way. So the main thing is that we ought to reject false teaching. Brothers and sisters, in the first century, some false apostles were trying to corrupt the church, and that has not changed. In the first century, there were a lot of religious and secular groups that were against some doctrine. The church in Ephesus was able to deal with those groups because of their knowledge of the truth. So it is important even for us to know the truth. We need to know who the true apostles are according to the scripture and that will help us identify and reject false apostles of our times. It is the same with the false prophets or teachers or even false believers who corrupt the church. We need to know what is true so that we'll be able to identify and fight against that which is false. The church in Ephesus dealt very well with those issues. They never got tired of protecting the sound doctrine as a church. From the early years, they stood up for the truth, and years later, they were still standing up for the truth. As John MacArthur put it, for over 40 years since its founding, this church has remained faithful to the word and to the Lord. Through difficulty and persecution, the members had enjoyed, always driven by the right motive, that is, for Christ's name and reputation. Oh, beloved, this should be our desire. This should be our resolution. This should be our goal as we strive together as a church. A church that is loyal to some doctrine is a church that walks in truth. 
A church that does not depart from sound doctrine is a church that truly represents Christ. In John 8, verse 31, Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Applying these words of Jesus to the church, it would say, If you abide in sound doctrine, you are truly my church. As we have seen, that the church should consider Christ as the only central figure, and the church should work hard to instill and to protect some doctrine. Lastly, we are looking at the third point that says, if the goal is to remain faithful, the church should not substitute love for anything. Let's look at our passage, Revelation 2, verse 4 to 5. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. The church of Ephesus had done well in protecting sound doctrine, but they had not done well or they had not done the same when it came to love. While they were steadfast and had him grown weary in defending some doctrine, their love for God and each other had declined. This church didn't lack love at first. In Ephesians 1, verse 15 to 16, Paul said, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I did not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers. They understood that they were loved by God. Therefore, as a response, they also loved God and they loved one another. As they understood the love of God, they became imitators of God in loving one another. But as the years went by, they became more mature in knowledge and love was thrown out of the window. They became good defenders of the gospel, but love was no longer the drive. They, become, they became good theologians, but bad lovers. Even the people who received and trusted their teaching did not experience their love. In response to the significant question that says, do you choose sound doctrine or love? This church chose sound doctrine. Now, does this sound familiar? How many times we have engaged in theological debate, not because we love God and want to honor Him, but by proclaiming His truth. Not because we want to love people we are debating and want to correct them, but only because we want to prove that we are right. How many times pride has led us to debate. How many times we've proven that people are false teachers, but there was no love in us as we did that. Oh friends, it should never be an either-or situation. Defending the gospel does not entail lack of love. Everything should be done in love. Is that what you are doing as an individual? Is that what we are doing as a church? If I speak in tongues of men and of angels but have no love, I may know the gong or a clanging symbol. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have no love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to repent but I have no love, I gain nothing. First Corinthians 13, verse 1 to 3. Beloved, a loveless church is a dying church, if not a dead church. This is the reason Jesus was warning this church. 
This is a call to all of us as we labor in doctrine, as we fight against false teaching. Let us strive to love God and his people. Let us strive to love one another in the church. As you serve, serve because you love God and his people. As you instruct others, as you correct others, as you invite others into your home, as you attend gospel communities this year, do it because you love God and his people. Beloved, we are not called to tick all the boxes, but to love God and his people. Jesus answered them, the most important is here, O Israel, the, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than this. Mark 12, verse 29 to 31. I'm sure as I was reading this, you just remembered that this is our memory verse for last year. Let me say it as he's reading. But are you applying it in your life? Are you loving God the way you ought to? Are you loving others the way you ought to? That is the question you should ask yourself. Some people are members of a local church, but they don't appreciate their church. They don't appreciate other members. Instead, they always come with complaints. Do not be that member. Love your church and serve your church. As Jesus was talking to the church of Ephesus, he was calling them to repent and to return to the love they had at first. Jesus was saying loving him and loving the church and loving the members of the church should not be like a honeymoon phase that fades when the goosebumps are over. Instead, we should possess a permanent love. Now the question is, do you love the brothers and sisters sitting here at church? A month ago, some of us were excited because we were going to visit our families. We were looking forward to spending some quality time with them. Maybe it was partly because we hadn't seen them for some time, but it was mostly because we loved them. Many people are always excited when they are going home. They say there is no place like home, not because there are no troubles at home, but because it is where love lives. Now be honest, do you get excited when you are planning to meet believers from the church? Do you get excited when you are coming to the church to gather with other believers? Do you consider these brothers and sisters next to you as family? Do you ever miss these brothers and sisters when you are away? If the answer is no, then like the church of Ephesus, you are just prioritizing some doctrine, but you, you do not love the saints the way you should. Beloved, the Lord is calling all of us, both you and me, to repent from our lack of love. We can't just pride ourselves on being a Bible-teaching church. We also need to strive to love one another. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 1 John 3, 18. Jesus was so serious about love that he warned his church, telling them he was going to remove their lampstand from its place if they were not going to repent from their lack of love. This means Jesus was going to judge the church they were no longer going to be the light that they were meant to be. In judging them, Jesus was going to destroy the church or remove the church as his representative. Oh friends, we don't want to be a church that is not the light of the world. We don't want to be a church that is not the salt of the world. 
We don't want to be a church that has no godly impact on the lives of the people. We don't want to be a dead church. But if we are a loveless church, we will be just that. However, as you see in the servant, if we heed this warning and strive towards loving God and one another, we won't just be a lighthouse, but we will also have eternal rewards. The tree of life that Adam could not have because of sin, we will have because of Christ. Friends, this is a great encouragement that our labor has eternal significance. Every person in this world works for temporal profit, but we who are in Christ have an ending reward. In conclusion, to answer our question, what should we prioritize? Doctrine or love? The answer we see in Revelation is both doctrine and love. Our great God, you alone are holy. Lord, you have called us to yourself. We, Lord, are so thankful that even this morning, Lord, you are reminding us, O oh God, that it is important for us to work hard, to strive, O oh Lord, so that we may instill and protect some doctrine. But God, we are so thankful that you also, Lord, remind us that, Lord, that is meaningless if we do not have love. We do pray, Lord, that you may help us to strive to love one another this year. Lord, we know for a fact that every one of us has to improve in that area. We do pray, Lord, that you may help us to improve, help us to love one another, help us to serve one another faithfully. Remember, you know, Lord, that serving, Lord, others and loving others, Lord, brings glory to your name. Lord, we are so thankful for your admonition this morning. And we do pray that your name may be glorified, O oh God. We pray this in the wonderful name of our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.